0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. My name is Brad, and I am a self-aholic. I don't know if you can relate to that, but there's a tendency for all of us to lean in the direction of being self-absorbed. As I thought about filling in for today, and I appreciate Trent entrusting me with the pulpit, I told him earlier that... He'll have to come back and probably clean up some of the stuff that I create this morning. Um, I'm Brant's dad, and I appreciate this church and his service here with you and your love for him and Jill, and, and more importantly, my grandkids. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, more importantly, grandfathers, any, any out here? Grandfathers? Yes. Bless you, bless you. Um, the reality is, as I thought about what to do today, they asked me to, to, to come and fill in for a, a Sunday. And it was on Father's Day. So I thought, okay, um, <clears throat> it's, a little, it's a little sensitive, I think, that preachers wrestle with a little bit. How, how do we approach an event like this? You know, uh, Mother's Day is even more sensitive because, uh, you know, you don't want people to walk out of the, the worship feeling uh, worse than they, they came in, right, about because there's a tendency to, to talk about super mom or super dad, and, and none of us attain that. None of us live there. We all... A struggle in one way or another. Um, I know I wasn't and am not the dad that I would like to be and, and you probably uh, feel that same way. The, the challenge is that we fight a battle every day. We all know that there's a cosmic battle and the scripture talks about that. But we, we fight uh, this own internal battle, battle of being self-absorbed. Um, I think you might even say that the synonym, synonym of sin is self. Uh, the Bible talks quite a bit about it, and, um, and so. but when I began to think about what I wanted to, to try to do today was to talk about a little bit with the Father's Day in mind, but it's really broader than that, is to this importance of being a man of influence, to be a man of influence. I know for me and many of you, if not all of you, will have this, your own story of who's influenced you the most. Um, you know, I, I just turned 58, I didn't get here in life without some real encouragement along the way from a wide variety of people started in the home i'll talk about my dad toward the end of the service if uh, if there's time left over um you know we've had teachers and coaches and pastors and youth pastors and and uh, when i got to college i was really up for grabs spiritually and i was a believer but i had not been an obedient growing disciple and uh, i knew that needed to change and i began to pray about it and and i encountered A guy named Dave Edwards, and Dave Edwards came along beside of me, kind of grabbed me by the collar, and said, I'm going to walk with you on your journey toward Christ. And that turned out to be so significant. And then another guy named Bob Anderson. And I've had other men, uh, Warren Benson and others, who I've looked to as mentors and people who've influenced me, who've influenced me to try to be a man of influence. And even though we're using the male term here today because of Father's Day, but this is really applicable to anybody, married, unmarried, women, men, doesn't matter, to be a a woman of influence, to be uh, a man of influence. Now, we all get the woman of influence thing. How many of you have ever seen a professional athlete say, hi, dad? You you know, you just don't see that. So we know moms are hugely influential. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the, the opportunity that is in front of all of us today. Uh, as Christ followers, to become more impactful and significant in the lives of other people. I'm going to talk about, we could talk about a lot of things about what does it mean to be a a man or woman of influence, but I want to focus on two, in my own opinion, and some of this is just, you know, my experiences in life that I'm going to share with you, but for, for me, as I've thought about who's been most impactful on my life, and I've Study the lives of other people who've had an impact, uh, there are two, two qualities that I think really, really significantly determine whether or not you or I will be men or women of influence. And the two qualities are uh, a servant heart and integrity. A servant heart or integrity. And I'm going to spend most of my time today with you on the servant thing. And uh, because I believe a servant leadership is a tremendous, powerful goal for us men and and women as well. To be a servant leader in the home or in any other setting you find yourself in, married or single, uh, divorced, it doesn't matter, you either are or have the great potential to be a man or a woman of influence. But there are serious headwinds in our path that often prevent us from being men and women of influence. And frankly, um, the, the odds are a bit against us in some ways. Now, the, the odds are greatly in our favor in terms of if we're obedient to Jesus and we follow him and his power working through us, man, it's God is definitely going to use us. But historically speaking, you know, I went back and looked at all the kings of Israel. There were 43 or 44 kings, and uh, there are only seven that were considered good Their whole lives. Seven. Seven out of 43 or 44. And uh, so there there are a lot of headwinds that we face in terms of of going down this path of being men and women of influence. And today I'd like to uh, share with you a passage that I think is is very important as a biblical foundation to this path of influence. And it's Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses three and four. And it says here, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider yourself or consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is a key passage and it goes on in and around that the context of that epistle that uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians. It talks about Jesus as the prime example of uh, being a servant leader and taking upon himself the sins of the world and serving in submission to the father so we have a great example in terms of what jesus did and there are many other passages we could look at but this will be our kickoff point today is this challenge out of philippians to consider also the interests of others now when you think about that opportunity that is in front of us um it's it's easy to speak too broadly about well are are you a servant or are you a follower of Jesus and and I hope both of those are true in some measure um but those are that's pretty vague right and so I'm going to try to get a, a break it down a little bit I'm I'm really more of a teacher than a preacher that's probably may already be obvious to you and will be in about 25 more minutes for sure but um I don't know what the difference between teaching and preaching is some have said it's how fast and loud you talk um for me, it's, it's how much I wanna get in exchange with you. I, I, I'd rather be talking back and forth and, and um, interacting with you and asking clarifying questions, and I think that's the teacher side. So for the most part, this will be kind of one way. Um, I mean, if you wanna throw something at me and make it a two-way deal, that's fine. But uh, for mostly, it's just me talking now, so bear with me on that. Um, but I, I wanna break it down in some ways that maybe make it a little bit easier for us to do some self-examination. I know it's Father's Day, uh, probably could have taken the route of just all encouragement, way to go, man, you're great. And there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but but uh, I think it's it, uh, a great opportunity here to even become even more involved in being a, a man of influence. So I'm gonna take that route, which challenges us a bit. So we're gonna look at these different ways to compare and contrast two paths. The, the path that's natural for us is the path to be self-absorbed. That's why I started out saying, my name is Brad, and I'm a self-aholic. It's true. It's true. Uh, I think my family will be here in the third service, and uh, they could stand up and give a lot of testimony to that uh, malady of being self-absorbed. Uh, I'm at my worst when I'm driving. Let's just face it. Uh, there are a lot of idiots in the left lane. Um, you know, my, uh, I, did I just use the word idiot? I really didn't mean that. Uh, I sort of did, but um, I remember one time my son—he'll be in the third service, I think, unless he's already in here somewhere. When he was about 13, he said, "Hey, Dad, do you do you notice that anybody that drives faster than you is an idiot, and anybody that drives slower than you is stupid?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, Dad, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's right." So I had this 13-year-old rebuke me because I was being self-absorbed in my driving. Anybody else self-absorbed drivers here? You don't? Uh, well, I'm from Wyoming. Stop signs were suggestions. (laughs) You know, I don't see anything wrong with being a self-absorbed driver. Um, You can do whatever you want, just stay out of my way, right? Right? Uh, That can be a real problem when you work at Lifeway. And uh, I don't have any Christian stickers on my car. But uh, that's just stupid. Um, So that's enough evidence right now that I'm a self-aholic. Do you need more? No, that's enough? Okay. Well, I'll probably give you more in a minute. So we're going to do this two paths of self-absorbed versus um, God-centered or others-centered. We're going to make this comparison kind of... First, let's just talk about how a self-absorbed person views God to some degree, right, versus a Jesus follower, which implies you're going to be other-centered, right? So I'm just going to do self-absorbed versus Jesus followers, how we're going to kind of do this. A self-absorbed person, and what I'm giving you today is just a, just a little taste of what we, I mean, we could have all kinds of stuff up here, but this is a, a few things to think about. A self-absorbed person typically will view God either from the standpoint of ignoring him, hiding from him, because if you're a believer, you've really trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that Regeneration has occurred in your life, but you continue to be self-absorbed, you're, you're, you're going to feel that. You're going to know that's not right. So we, if we're going to go down this self-absorbed path, we tend to ignore or hide from God. We really don't want to encounter Him, because usually when God shows up, you know, things change, right? And so we can either hide or ignore God, or we can actually be so crazy to think that somehow God is, exists for our personal benefit, and we want to actually use God. We want to try to leverage God. We want to just look at our prayer life sometimes, and you'll see evidence that we're trying to, you know, use God, and so that, that's a scary thing. Man, it, it's so scary. So, but that's, we tend to view God, a self-absorbed person tends to have a very improper view of God or an understanding of God. A Jesus follower, an other-centered person, understands Hebrews 4.13, which says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. A Jesus follower understands that verse because a Jesus follower understands that God is the one to whom we give an account. He's the main thing. It's pleasing him that matters the most. Uh, He is our audience, and what we do in public and private is known by him, and all things are open and laid bare to him, including the recesses of your heart and your motives for why you do what you do or why you don't do what you should. A Jesus follower who's God-centered and others-focused understands this sense of accountability. God is the person, God is is the, the one to whom we will give an account. Let's talk about, now I'm going to jump around. I'm looking at this from different lenses, okay? Uh, All of these may hit you at some level, but some for sure will, okay? Let's approach this topic from the standpoint of your job. How does a self-absorbed person view their vocation versus an others centered Jesus follower? Lots of ways to describe this. I'll describe it in a couple of ways. Typically, a self-focused person will see a job from the lens of personal gain. Could be financial, could be ego, could be influence, could be the satisfaction that you get. Of, I mean, um, you know, I, I happen to have read some Tim Keller uh, stuff in the last year. If you don't know that name, I'd encourage you to check out Tim Keller as a prolific author and speaker, pastor in New York. And uh, he messed with my life a little bit. He talks a lot, a lot about idols that we all tend to, lean toward in life that take us away from jesus and he kind of meddled with me i was reading his list of questions that were designed to show what your idols might be and i felt like i was doing pretty good until he got to the one called productivity and i said can that be an idol to which my daughter-in-law jill who probably will be in the next service said warning 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 (laughs) it's like the very question would would be a warning signal can that be an idle productivity? Well, yes, it can. And so, you know, there are different reasons that we tend to get into our jobs for affirmation and personal gain. Not all of that is bad. I want to be careful to not overstate anything here. Um, you should feel good about your job. You should like making a contribution. Uh, and, the, and the positives that you get from that, whether it's salary or other benefits, uh, that, that can be okay if it's in the right spirit. But an, a Jesus follower will look at his or her job from the platform of service. The platform of service. It isn't just about getting a paycheck so you can pay your bills, as important as that is. And the Bible talks very strongly about work ethic and earning your keep. That's, we're not gonna diminish that in any way. But, but, but it's bigger than that. Uh, an others-centered person sees that as a platform or an opportunity to serve others it could be your employer it could be your peers it could be the customer um, you know now that i help lead a fairly sizable it's a ministry on a business model uh I, i've become increasingly observant and more concerned about customer service and you all know um, wh- what it's like to be in a business where you don't you're, you're not sure they even really care if you're there i was at one home improvement store i won't mention the name and um, I was, had a legitimate return, and I buy all kinds of stuff at this place all the time. And um, was, I had a return, and this lady was just grouchy as she could be and acted like I was an annoyance. And I don't, don't usually say anything, but I, something came over me, and I said, ma'am, am I bothering you? And boy, I just like woke her up. Oh, well, no. I didn't say any more, but it was like, well, you sure act like I'm bothering you. And, uh, you know, and her whole tone changed, and all of a sudden she became customer-centric. But, but uh, uh, that's a very important thing for businesses to understand that they're there to improve the lives of others. And companies who get that in their culture tend to be more successful and fruitful. Let's, l- let's look at money. Now, some of these get really personal here. Money is a great indicator of which path you're on, self-absorbed or an other-centered Jesus follower, money. Your, your view of money. A, a self-focused person tends to see money as a measure of success or something to need more of, something to need more of. And there's other ways we could describe money. The Bible's loaded with teachings on money, and boy, it's tricky, because money can be the ruin of a lot of people. We know that, right? That's one of the reasons that Scripture's very clear. You cannot love both God and money. Now, money in itself can be neutral. It can be a means by which we live and do things. And it, it itself is not evil. It's the, the love of it that's evil. But a self-focused person will have a certain mindset about money and it generally is not about other people. Whereas a, a Christ follower sees money first as a blessing from God, right? Man, we, I tell you, we're so blessed. One of the things that I... I try to tell myself, because I can tend to be critical, and right, right now I'm having a guy at a deck on my house, and if you're in the construction business and you really do it well, I, I want to talk to you afterwards, because I want to just love you and hug you, And but I have not had that experience, and uh, uh, you know, this, this whole thing of getting frustrated, and I can get negative, and, but every now and then it comes to me that we most of us in this room, and I don't want to gloss over any struggles that some of you might be in the midst of right now, but generally speaking, most of us in this room, we're among some small percent of 1% of all the people who have ever walked the face of the earth. Blessing, comfort, opportunity, I mean, really, truly. And so we can see it as a blessing. God has blessed us. The other way we see money is an opportunity. Now, my wife... She's a very gifted person, and, and I, when I say this in the next service with her being in here, she'll be embarrassed. Uh, she has a number of gifts, but the, her two most prominent ones are giving and hospitality. And she loves to give, and she set up this fund, and she just loves to channel money through that fund, and, and uh, you know, it's, it is fun. It is enjoyable. We're at a phase of life where we can give more, our first decade of life and marriage and ministry we were like at the poverty level or less and it's like, wow, I don't even know how we made it through that but she loves to give and we've given all the way through both thin and, and blessing years, but she, she I think she'd give she'd probably give ninety percent of the way if she could, you know. And um, so it's fun to be married to somebody who has that every now and then, I feel like I gotta put the brakes on her a little bit, but but she loves to bless other people with, with money and it's 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 a wonderful thing to see it as a blessing and an opportunity. Let's go to another subject. Believe it or not, failure can be a lens into the soul. It can be like an x-ray. Failure. It can tell you a lot about yourself. We've all experienced failure in one way or another, some more than others, and sometimes this failure is not your own fault necessarily. It just, sometimes life is just difficult, but failure is a great opportunity to test the soul because a self-absorbed person when it comes to failure will either fear it or be tempted to blame others for it. Um, My sister, her name is Brenda, she lives in Omaha, um, great sister, phenomenal aunt, tremendous daughter. I mean, there's so many good things I could say about her Uh, Just in case she's listening on your website right now, okay. Um, But she's a little scatterbrained at times. Um, She'll know that, she would say that, she'd say more than that if she were standing here. So she called, yesterday we were talking a little bit, but we had to be sure, she said, I gotta go. She said, I left the garden hose on, and it's flooded the basement, and we have guests down there. I never heard if the guests drowned or anything, I don't know. But she flooded their basement. And it was kind of, we, we had more than one conversation, but it, 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 part of it was, at first she said, you know, at first I was, I wanted to blame Gene, Gene's her husband, I wanted to blame Gene. He's so compulsive, obsessive about things, he, he always wants me to roll up the garden hose after I'm done watering the plants. And I thought, that's pretty normal. I, any, how many of you would like your wife to put up the garden hose when it's done, You know, you leave a garden hose out on the grass for a day or two, and it it starts killing the grass that it's laying on, right? So if you're like me, a little obsessive-compulsive, I don't like that. So I thought, I can have empathy with my brother-in-law on that. And she said, she she wrestled, and she she took responsibility for this ultimately, but she said she was tempted to say, "It's, it's Gene's fault because he made me roll up the hose. I'm not used to doing that. And I'm thinking, how would rolling up the hose cause you to flood the basement. And I think she said, I was so focused on rolling up the hose, I forgot to shut it off. How do you roll up a garden hose without shutting it off? I, so love you, Brenda. I don't get it. But she wanted to blame somebody else. And uh, I'll tell this, story. and my, my mom is a sweet mom, very encouraging, loves her kids probably too much, but, but she's also really blunt at times. And so Brenda told her about the garden hose thing. And my mom said, well, you dummy. And Brenda got a little defensive, and then they, mom called and apologized. So, sorry for taking you through some of my family drama right then. But there was a, that's a, to me, it's a funny story of where we want to blame somebody else, right? We all have that tendency to blame somebody else. And failure can help you look into your own soul to determine are you self focused? Or are you along the path of a Jesus follower who thinks about others and doesn't pass the buck. I love the book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. It's been out a long time now. It's one of my favorite leadership books. It's a secular book. It's a massive study done on some companies that just seem to stand out head and shoulders above others. And one of the things that they learned was that the, the owners, the leaders of the really, really, really great companies practice what's called the window in the mirror. Great leaders, when things go well, Look out the window to find who to share credit with. You have some business owners in here? Listen up. But when things go badly, they look in the mirror to to see what their own personal responsibility is for the failure. And over time, those are the kind of people who are men and women of influence. They don't look at failure purely from a self-absorbed lens. Let's talk about the next emphasis of how, how... how you look at those around you. When I shared this with uh, uh, our employees where I work, uh, I titled this uh, Fellow Employees, but not all of you are in that context, so I broaden it. But just in terms of the people around your life, Now, if you are an employee, then you can take the fellow employee idea here. But a self-absorbed or self-focused person tends to view those around them as people to use or compete with. To use Or compete with. Don't don't raise your hand here just in case you've got a former boss sitting nearby. But Some of us in this room can relate to feeling used by a company or by a boss instead of appreciated and valued. We know what that's like. Or we see our peers as somebody to compete with. Another centered mindset sees uh, the idea of people are there to help you and you help them. And you work together as a team to accomplish some things you couldn't do by yourselves, right? A sense of team, a sense of teamwork. And so a Jesus follower who's other centered will view those around him or her as team members to go through life with. What about time? This is a little bit like money. It gets really personal here. This is where I struggle. Well, I struggle with all these things. But I definitely struggle here with time because time's a precious commodity. I think a lot of people would say they value time more than money. And actually, I, I would support that. I think time is more important than money. Um, time, it goes by fast. There's only so much of it. A self-focused person views time as something to be protected. You can't hoard time, but if you could, it would be hoarded. Um, some people that are really, really focused on, the, back in the day, it was the day timer. Now we've gone long past that, right? Everybody has their electric calendars on their phone and whatnot. And we, I, can, I can be very protective of my time because I know it's precious little of it. It goes by quickly. Um, but an, a Jesus follower will see time as something to steward for God and the sake of others. This, again, I, I know I'm sounding out my wife to be phenomenal because she is. Sorry if that gags you in any way. Um, she, uh, she loves to cook meals for people. And no, you live too far away from Franklin, Tennessee, you're not gonna get on that list. And for you to get on that list, things would have to be really bad for you. So you really don't wanna be on that list, right? But my wife fix, fixes meals for a lot of people. You know, moms who've just had babies and people who've been in the hospital and it's very common for her to do that. And generally speaking, I like it, but on occasion, it knocks out an evening for us. Because you know, cook the food, all day long cooking, and then the mass, and then, and then we got to deliver the food, and then sometimes go back and pick it up. And I've, I've, I'm really big on disposable stuff now, so we don't have to go back and pick it up. You know, you want to serve somebody, don't take your stuff that you want back with you. Just put it in disposable things. That's a little, uh, I sound like Martha Stewart all of a sudden, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but sometimes I get a little annoyed by the amount of time my wife, and then I have to take a step back, I'm, I'm really glad I'm married to a a wife who likes to do that. Time can be a window into the soul as to which path you're on. The Bible. Now, Trent, in the first service, I said, Trent, I'm gonna to talk to us preacher types, us seminary guys who've gathered together in seminary saying I, I taught for a seminary for seven years. So. But this can be true of, of, of not just seminary types. It can be true of some of you in this room. I've, I've observed a tendency, I, I hate to say it, and I'll try to clean this up and clarify it before we're done here. I've seen a tendency that the more Bible knowledge some people have, the less I like to be around them. Honestly. Now, there's something wrong with that. The more Bible knowledge, the less I like being around them. I've thought about that, and I've had church members the same way. Some of the church members that come off so godly and so committed and why why don't I like being around you? Um, And I tell you, here's the difference. It's how you view the Bible. It's how you view that knowledge. See, a self-focused person will even use the Bible as a source of knowledge to impress others or to feel better than others or to condemn others, right? A Jesus follower who loves other people, will see the Bible as wisdom. First, to apply to their own life, and then to willingly and seriously try to help other people seek the wisdom, because this wisdom leads you to alignment with your Creator, and life just goes a lot better when you're aligned with the Creator, right? So even the Bible can be a window into the soul. Ephesians 4.29 kind of haunts me, but it talks about, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only those kinds of words that are good for edifying, improving, encouraging the lives of other people. I paraphrase that a lot, but it's there. Ephesians 4, 29, all right? Okay, let's, let's, let's talk about a couple of other examples of windows into the soul on these two paths. Conversation. Oh man, I'm really bad here. Um, okay, any of you single guys, I want you to heads up right now, or married guys maybe, uh, Here's something you don't want to do that I, I did, and it was bad. Come home, long, hard day, sit down for a little bit, catch a little news. I'm watching the news, and my wife's kind of scampering around, doing stuff. And I probably was sort of aware she was talking, but, I, you know, she got frustrated because she could tell I wasn't listening. And I thought, listen, I need to clarify something here. If I'm not looking at you, I'm not listening. That didn't go over very well. I've only done that once, <laughs> all right? And guys, it won't go well for you either. I'm a pretty sorry listener, but, but conversation is a great window into the soul to determine which path you tend to be going down, self-absorbed or other-centered. See, I thought a, 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 a colleague of mine at Lifeway uh, named Selma Wilson I wish I had more time to tell you the full story of Selma. Phenomenal person, everybody in our, she's more beloved than anybody in Lifeway, by far. And I thought about it, and, I, and I, it didn't take me long to figure it out. Selma Wilson is very other-centered, and it's a genuine thing. But you see it, every encounter with her, and I would say every encounter. I've never known of, an, I hate to say, make her sound like, uh, jesus in female form here but uh every counter that i know of with her or others that i know of has been a positive encounter she never starts with herself she rarely talks about herself unless you ask a specific question about her or her family she always has this sense of being really interested in in me or or others she's talking to and it, it seems very genuine for me, I think often I, I do have a genuine interest. I'm a lousy listener, but here are two or three things. Eye contact. My wife says I'm really sorry at this. Um, eye contact. Of course, the heart is the most important thing, a genuine interest. But eye contact, uh, asking clarifying questions so that you really understand. Not, not the I got you kind or not the rhetorical kind, but a, a genuine question to seek clarification. And then to repeat back what you've heard. Now, guys, I can tell you, Guys are normally really bad at conversation, all right? Just admit it. Some of you maybe not, but most of you are bad at this. But you would do yourself and those around you, if you're, if you're married, your, your spouse, if you could become a better listener and a better conversationalist, you, you and your own, if you're married, your spouse, you gotta figure out what that means for, for each of you, but this is a window into the soul about which path you're on are your conversations. Let's talk about these last ones I'm gonna go through somewhat quickly here because getting a little bit of redundancy in this, but gifts and talents, self-focused people take pride in their gifts or use them to compare to others. A Jesus follower who's other-centered will see that their gifts are on loan and will be held accountable for the degree to which we've used our gifts to honor God and benefit other people. See, you're not, it's just not some mistake that you have some great giftedness here, right? Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know uh, one of your drummers. I think it's Terry. I think he's the barefoot drummer. Uh, He's back there somewhere probably. Um, He takes off his shoes for some reason. But uh, I don't wanna know why, but he does. But um, I guess it helps him drum better. But I I really, I noticed him a few months ago when I was here. Um, And I just, I really, I, I I I like drummers, okay, And this is just one example of I'm so glad that he's gifted the way he is and that he doesn't just hoard this gift for himself, but he comes here and blesses you with it. And we could illustrate this a thousand ways. You are gifted and talented in some specific ways, and they're on loan to you for a purpose if you're a Jesus follower. Two more examples of this compare and contrast. Self. Um, it sounds weird, self, how does self help you see whether or not you're selfish? (laughs) But it's similar to what I've said along the way. A self-focused person, when it comes to their view of themselves, can either be, and this is weird, this is a bit tricky here, can either have an inflated view of themselves and then draw attention to themselves and be arrogant and whatnot, or it can, it actually can be the flip side. It can be really low self-esteem and kind of be the or thing. Uh, but even that could be an attention getting device. And you know, it, so um, the proper thing is to have a sane estimation of yourself, not inflated, not deflated, but a sane assessment of yourself. But another centered person fundamentally sees themselves as on mission or gifted for a purpose. We've talked about that already. Last example, of this windows into the soul would be how does a person respond to success? Success. Success can be a window into the soul, just like failure, right? A self-absorbed person tends to view success from an exaggerated lens, overstate it, never enough, mentioned often, right? Whereas a Jesus follower who's other-centered will view success first and foremost with gratitude to God and others who helped. And we'll see it as more opportunity to share with other people. Success is, in that stewardship is important in responding to success. You didn't just, you know, there's, I think it's, there's one preacher I hear every now and then that talks about, you see a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there on his own. Other people have contributed to our success and we should demonstrate that with an other-centered mindset. Now, this whole process of going down a path of being other-centered, it's a God thing. You can't do it on your own. There's too much inertia. There's too much selfishness in all of us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, you as a believer, a follower of Jesus, work out your salvation. There's responsibility there about you being obedient, you making choices, you working out your salvation. This isn't just gonna be poured out on you in some easy manner. It takes work to go down this path of being other-centered. Every day it takes work. But notice what it says here, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good pleasure. Just a reminder here, serving others is no different than any other form of obedience, it's a daily choice a daily choice just a brief caveat let's avoid the extremes here i think the enemy satan and his demonic forces are good about judo they if you get some good momentum going in a certain area you'll try to go that way and and take it to some kind of extreme okay and there's two examples of a pendulum here that you'll see on the screen here uh, the first picture is selfish selfish ambition versus no ambition both are bad. Wisdom is in the middle. Or exalting self is the extreme on the one side, or putting oneself down on the other, on the other side. And so this wisdom knows how to walk in between those two extreme dangers. But by God's grace, you can become a greater man or woman of influence by serving him. Now, I want to talk briefly, we only have a A couple more minutes here. The second quality that I I started out with that I knew I wouldn't have much time on servant spirit, we've talked about just briefly. The other is to be a man or a woman of integrity. When I think Father's Day here, so it's natural to think of my own father, he's passed away a few years ago from Parkinson's disease, and so we lost him earlier than we would have liked, of course. Um, And the first part of his life, he was pretty self absorbed, frankly. And lots of symptoms of what that looked like for the family, and it was not good. But he gave his life to Christ um, about the time I went to college, and there were, there were about 12 years where God really, really used my dad. and then his disease uh, began to afflict him. But he had about 12 years where he became he became Jesus-centered, which led him to become others-centered. And when Brant, my son Brant, and I did, we did his funeral together. When we did my dad's funeral, there were seven, there were eight pallbearers, eight of them. Seven of them, God used him to lead them to Christ and disciple one-on-one. Seven of the eight pallbearers. Rough old cowboys that didn't know Jesus and they encountered my dad and God through his providence and goodness brought them to faith and understanding. And my dad was the pivotal person who walked along beside them And they were still following Jesus the day of his funeral. Wow. My dad spent most of his life being self-absorbed. But for 12 years, he was a Jesus follower and he was others-centered. So servant spirit, being men and women of integrity. Well, that's a lot. Um, My desire is not for you to walk out of here feeling, man, I don't measure up to any of that. Well, none of us do. So take heart in that you're a fellow struggler on this journey. Remember, I started out, my name is Brad, I'm a self-aholic, but by God's grace, he can use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I'm glad they're here today, these kids, these boys and girls, and everybody in this room, the staff and those who are part of this church, that you help us become aligned with you to make a difference for your glory and for the benefit of others. We pray that that indeed would be the case in the days, weeks, and months ahead. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.